Welcome to Outside Ourselves, a podcast featuring conversations that remind us faith isn't something we do, it's something we receive. I'm Kelsey Quimbera, and today I am so excited to be chatting with my good friend, Dr. Dan Van Voris, about the history of Christmas. In today's episode, we go through everything from the history of Santa Claus to the history of the tension we sometimes see between the secular and Christianity when it comes to Christmas practices and traditions. I learned a ton in this conversation, and I think you will too. I hope that you enjoy this lighthearted and joyful episode as we continue to close out the year and prepare for the birth of Jesus. Enjoy and Merry Christmas. Dan, welcome to the show. It's good to see you. I know I'm going to see you in person in um, a couple of days, but thanks so much for joining us today on this special Christmas episode. Hooray. Hooray. Uh, Kelsey, uh, absolutely so happy to be on this episode with you. So happy that my reputation would be such that you would think Christmas episode and Dan Van Voris, it's something I've been working on for decades, um, you know, just developing this reputation as the Christmas guy. So I am uh, delighted, delighted to be here. You are the Christmas guy for sure. So I, this is the pinnacle right here. You're here to talk about Christmas. All the work I've done to try to get people to know that I'm the Christmas guy in a way that is neither ironic or cynical. I just love Christmas. So uh, happy to to talk about uh, it and its history and all kinds of things on today's show. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in. Um, Before we get started, tell us a little bit about who you are. I think if people are familiar with 1517, they will know your name and a little bit of your work. But for those who might not be so familiar with 1517 as an organization, tell us who you are, what you do, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, Dan Van Voris. I'm a California native, uh, Orange County, where I live with my wife and two sons, 10 and 13 now. Um, I went to Concordia University in Irvine after uh, a, an interesting uh, childhood, and then moved to Scotland, where I got my PhD in history. I came back to Concordia University in Irvine, where I taught uh, in the history department and was the department chair and assistant dean. I did that for 10 years. And then in 2016, 1517 hired me full-time to be a scholar in residence. And since 2019, I've done a daily podcast called the Christian History Almanac. It's a six to eight minute show where I give you a sort of on this day, tell you a story about a person or an idea or event in the Christian church. And then on the weekends, uh, a brand new thing we've been doing for uh, this past year, it's called the weekend edition. And that's when we go 30 to 45 minutes and I just take a topic that I like. It can be a a biography, it can be an event. And in the case of uh, the show I'm working on right now, it's it's Christmas songs. So it dovetails nice with uh, what we're doing here. On, uh, on this podcast. So that's what I, I'm a historian and a podcaster yeah. and a scholar in residence here at 1517. Awesome. Um, well, you already claimed that you are the Christmas guy, which yes. I validated is true. Can you tell us why exactly you love Christmas so much? What is it about the season that you, you love? Oh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things I, I mentioned before. I I'm, I'm, I'm right in between Gen X and millennial. I probably am a little more Gen X than millennial. And it seems like my generation is so cynical and so ironic and can't just sort of love something for the sake of loving something in a, mm. 
uh, hard on your sleeve kind of way. And Christmas is the one time when I think we do have that opportunity to just mm. to, to put lights on our houses and to have a canon of music that we all listen to together. And um, I, I've got this quote from uh, uh, a Christmas Carol. This is the cousin of Scrooge. He says, I've always thought okay. of Christmas time as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time when men and women seem by one consent to open up their shut up hearts freely and to think of people mm -hmm. below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And so it's, it's that joy. Um, and it's the, the one place where I feel like there's almost a truce in the sacred secular battle. And yeah. I know people want to make a war on Christmas and the like, I'll leave that aside. Um, but I love walking through um, what we call Ralph's and you call Kroger. And I'm hearing uh, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Like as I'm buying my soup, um, yeah. that's fantastic, right? The, the radio right. is talking about the incarnation and God come down and um, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. So it not only is a time of, of just kind of cultural joy and light, but it is oftentimes ex as explicitly Christian as we get. And yeah. while I'm comfortable with the sacred secular divide in, in, you know, our, our country, um, I, I love the, the sort of both, both parts of me, you know, the sort of sacred fun and the secular fun come together. So, uh, that's, that's how I got, you know, amongst my friends and then, uh, students and faculty at the, at the college, the, uh, the reputation as being the Christmas guy, because I, I, I appreciate all of it, secular, sacred and where it, where it comes together. Yeah, there, there is, um, there is definitely like a bleeding over from sacred to secular at this mm -hmm. time of year, but there's also a lot of tension um, mm -hmm. between those two. Cause we, we do see that bleeding over and I think it's really beautiful and I love your perspective on it, but we also have, you know, there's a lot of American Christians that are up in arms about saying happy holidays and, um, things like that, which is interesting, right? Like, I don't know, mm -hmm. there's kind of like this, uh, tug of war going on there. How do we, how do we navigate that? Um, and then a second really big question is where does that come from? Is there some historical background to that, uh, kind of animosity between how Christians view the secularization of yeah. Christmas? Well, so first how we handle it, uh, I would hope that as Christians and, um, you know, here at 1517, we like to emphasize uh, grace in what we do. I think we should be gracious. And part of being gracious and neighborly is not trying to shove anything down someone's throat and also um, appreciating, you know, yeah. other people's boundaries. So if someone yeah. is uncomfortable with Merry Christmas, uh, I'll say happy holidays. Okay. That yeah. doesn't, that's fine. I, I don't, I'm not upset about that. If, if Starbucks wants to, to emphasize candy cane more than Christmas or, you know, just the color red, um, that's fine. I, I'm not promised anything. I'm not promised that my culture will be Christian. Yeah. And um, America is uh, not a Christian nation. Uh, you can actually go on YouTube and search 1517, Is America a Christian Nation? And there's a, a little seven-minute video that I did uh, with uh, some of you folks in Dallas. 
Yeah. Where I, I try to explain exactly why we're not a Christian nation. We're certainly influenced by Christianity. We have been a majority. Um, and so sometimes we felt like it's ours because, yeah. you know, the country is, is a majority Christian. That's becoming less and less the case, right? We're, we're mm-hmm. at like high 50s, low 60s of the percent of people calling yeah. themselves Christians. Right. So um, th- that's one thing to remember, to be gracious, to realize not everyone celebrates and that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But there are some really fun things about it. And so even if I can get my neighbor into just decorating, um, maybe they'll have some joy there and they'll see some of my joy and ask, hey, why, uh, why is this such a big deal? And I can mm. get to the incarnation at the heart of it. Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm not promised a Christian culture. So uh, a war on Christmas, I'm, I'm going to stay out of. And I think we could uh, do well to, to do that as, uh, as well. Yeah. As far as the, 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 the issue with Christmas has interestingly in our, our deeper past, our sort of colonial past, has actually been a problem with Puritans and Protestants and okay. Puritans and Protestants who don't want to celebrate Christmas because Christmas is a festival season. Christmas is a holy day and it part of it revolves around a saint, right? Saint Nicholas of, of Myra. And mm. so from the Reformation and then into the colonies, you have a number of people saying, do not celebrate Christmas. That is a, mm. a sort of Catholic papal thing of our past. And so in uh, Massachusetts, for instance, you would be fined if you went to church on Christmas. Oh, wow. And there were times where like this coming year, Christmas would come on a Sunday and they wouldn't have, the Puritans would say no church on Christmas. We'll have it the next day. We're serious about this. Christmas is papal and superstitious. So, you know, the the war on Christmas started with with uptight Christians saying Christmas was no good. ironic we've come full circle now and the war on christmas is supposedly the the sort of secular secular ones so that's always been the case um you know up and up through you know there have been times where the sort of christian culture has ebbed and flowed um you know i can think of times in the early 20th century when the number of confessing christians was quite low this is pre world war 2 yeah um you're going to have a sort of push for the the sort of secular uh, marketplace and yeah. and Santa, you know, over over Jesus. But then coming out of the World War II, we have a a a big bump in Christian identity, and mm. we can see this in um, think of um, uh, one of my favorites, the Charlie Brown Christmas, right. when Linus steps out on the stage and just reads from the Gospel of Luke yeah. and says, "That's yeah. what Christmas is all about." That was on CBS primetime television. As many people watch that as, as you know, um, watch major sporting events. And there weren't complaints. There really yeah. weren't. There were a few organizations for separation of church and state that tried to get campaigns going, but no one cared. It was, it was fine. So it's important to know it's always ebbed and flowed. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's been Christians fighting against Christmas. And sometimes it's been secular people fighting against Christmas. Um, but I think if we can find that happy medium where we can you know, embrace the secular and the sacred together, we have a better chance of, of uh, being able to use it as an opportunity to talk about the sacred with people without, you know, making them listen to us. Yeah. Wow. That's really um, fascinating. What would you say is the, 
the reason in your mind to to celebrate Christmas, um, even if it started as, you know, we're both Protestants. Um, why should Protestants celebrate this very Catholic uh, <laughs> festival and feast day? What's what's the reason yeah. for us to maintain that? Uh, freedom in Christ. That's the answer. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Paul in in Romans 14. I'm thinking about. Uh, Paul talking about some people are going to celebrate days and other people's aren't other people aren't. Mm. And as soon as it becomes a law, then run away. Yeah. Uh, as soon as it becomes a, you have to then run away. But if it becomes a, you get to, mm. uh, you know, I, I find it fascinating that Christmas and Easter, I mean, it's not uncommon for Protestants, evangelicals. Um, of course, Lutherans and Anglicans are going to follow the church calendar. Mm -hmm. Other Protestants don't, except for Christmas and Easter. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all of a sudden we're on the church calendar. All of a sudden we've got Advent and Christmas and Lent and, yeah. and Easter because we recognize that the incarnation and the resurrection are really cool to give special time for. It's the reason why there's a church calendar at all. And so I think that um, uh, it's it's a fun thing that our, our sort of Puritan forefathers, uh, the colonial ones, that we kind of won them over and yeah. and said, hey, this is this is fun to do. Um, like I said, when it becomes a law, then it, you know, there are people who get really upset if during Advent you're listening to Christmas music. And uh, <laughs> okay, I mean, if you don't you do what you will, but as soon as people start talking like that, then I think, whoa, 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 we've just made... Um, we've just made this into a law. That's no fun. Yeah. So is there, is there um, Advent I, yeah. music? Is there such oh, a Oh, there is. Advent? There is. Yeah. Is so, really? um, yeah, but you'd think of a lot of them as Christmas songs. Christmas. Okay. So, um, okay. Let me, let's go. Oh, come, oh, come Emmanuel is an Advent song. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let all mortal flesh keep silence of the father's heart begotten. Um, hark a thrilling voice is sounding low. He comes with clouds descending. So these are hymns, um, that focus on the first and second coming of Jesus, oftentimes juxtaposing the first and second. Um, and in your, if you've got a hymnal that's got uh, the church calendar, you'll see it's got Advent and then Christmas. But uh, I always like when, when the, you know, it's, if you can only sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing for like <laughs> one Sunday, that's lame, man. It's the best. So yeah. uh, you know, play with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, I mean, we're running a Christmas article series right now and it's yeah. happened. So Fantastic. what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, that's, that's all really great. You talked, I, I like what you said about once it becomes a law, be careful. And I think one thing in particular, particular where that happens very, um, commonly for Christians is Santa Claus. Um, mm. I didn't realize how, because I grew up with Santa and I grew up a Christian, and I didn't realize how controversial Santa Claus was until I had kids, um, mm -hmm. because a lot of people really get up in arms about Santa Claus and celebrating. Can you walk us through a little bit of the history of Santa Claus? Obviously, it's going to, I know, dovetail with just the history of Christmas in general. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, and then I, I want to hear if you think Christians – should celebrate Santa Claus or should not? 
All right. So Santa Claus, as we understand him, as as good 21st century Americans, took a long time to get that name, to get jolly and chubby and white bearded and with reindeer. Uh, it's it's a long historical process that takes sort of different turns in different uh, countries. So the 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 main sort of agreement is that we've got a guy called Nicholas of Myra, and he is going to be living in the 300s in Turkey, modern day Turkey. And he's an orphan and he's adopted by his uncle, who is a bishop, the Bishop of Myra. And uh, Nicholas is known for his generosity. And at some point hears that his neighbor doesn't have money to marry off his daughters. Hmm. And so Nicholas, perhaps through a chimney or perhaps just through the window, uh, gives the money to the father mm -hmm. secretly so that he can marry off his daughters. People start hearing about this and little kids get excited and start leaving their shoes out, hoping that they too can get money from this uh, Nicholas, who would go on to become himself the Bishop of Myra. Uh, we don't know much about him historically. Of course, that's just the legend. Uh, we do know that Nicholas of Myra was at the Council of Nicaea in 325. Okay. That's that big council where the two natures of Christ are kind of laid out for the first time. Yeah. It's where we get the Nicene Creed. Uh, you'll see a meme sometimes of St. Nicholas punching Arius, the heretic. Yeah. Um, that didn't happen, but it's something I see every Christmas because Nicholas was at um, at the council. Uh, he very quickly after his death became associated with children and with sailors. And so he was the patron saint of children and the patron saint of sailors. Uh, many, many sailors would uh, pray to St. Nicholas as praying to the saints became a thing. Uh, why is why was he church. associated with sailors? What was the um, connection? Uh, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, because he lived near the Black Sea, because okay. he was said to travel when he gave his gifts. So obviously okay. he knew the terrain such that he could yeah. get around. And so uh, he became very popular, a very popular saint. Uh, historians, we can trace the popularity of saints by finding little badges and icons with people and in their, their house inventories. And so we see that oh, Nicholas yeah. was really popular. Uh, in Turkey and then into Western Europe. Interesting. So he becomes associated with, uh, you know, his feast day, which is December 6th. So okay. sometimes like in Germany, you celebrate Christmas um, on December 6th. That's, that's the day when you celebrate. And um, so he was uh, St. Nicholas. Now he is in uh, Dutch. He would become uh, known as Sinterklaas, Sinterklaas which would become Santa Claus with mm -hmm. Dutch immigrants in America. Uh, the 16th century, as I mentioned before, the Reformation didn't want a feast for Christmas and they didn't want anything for a saint. And so he, we start to see the secular take hold in some ways. Hmm. Um, and so gift giving is kind of associated as kind of a pagan ritual and December 6th will be, you know, the sort of the Christkind will come instead of Santa. Okay. Uh, the, Christ, the, Christ, the Christ child will come yeah. and give presents. And then um, for the 25th or later on, that's when you get someone like Krampus. And Krampus is going to, um, he, well, he's going to beat you if you're naughty. 
Oh and uh, he's sort of the bad part or he'll kidnap you. Um, he's oftentimes got long like branches. Uh, and then of course it's not too long before the Christkind or the Christ child starts doing battle with Krampus. And so now we've got this just weird pagan Christian conglomeration. Um, Krampus so, is the perfect like Christmas villain name. Yeah. Yeah. Krampus is, uh, there've been a number it's of movies guy. about Krampus um, okay. that are never good. They're never good. <laughs> I, I have a theory because we don't want to be scared. We don't want to, like, it's, it's something that especially in American Christmas, we don't have the binary. Um, yeah. We have Santa and he knows if we've been good or bad, so be good for goodness sake. But, you know, in the Netherlands, if you're bad, the story is that Santa's helpers are going to put you in a bag and beat you up and they might kidnap you and take you to Spain. It's, it's uh, a story little Dutch children have to deal with. I'm very glad we don't have that. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> you know, I mean, Santa being able to see us all the time is kind of weird, but but yeah, we don't have that, uh, that sort of binary. So um, it's it's really the 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 bringing together of uh, the sacred and the secular, as I mentioned, where we start to find December 25th being accepted as Christ's birthday and that then being associated with St. Nicholas amongst Protestants uh, in America. It's uh, the Dutch in America who were always a little you know, not Puritan that yeah. start having these celebrations on Christmas with Sinterklaas, who brings you presents. And it was Washington Irving. He's the guy who wrote uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and the story okay, of Rip yeah. Van Winkle. Uh, mm -hmm. He tells the story of Santa Claus that he heard oh. from the, the Knickerbocker Dutch, uh, the people uh, I'm descended from in, uh, in New York. And so we, we get that. And then we get uh, Clement Clark Moore, a couple decades later, and he writes a poem for his children, and it's A Night Before Christmas. Okay. And so that's where we start to hear about Rudolph the reindeer. Rudolph comes later, but we hear about the reindeer. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Nast, who was the most famous cartoonist in America, took a, a take on Santa Claus, and uh, that was used everywhere. And then Macy's, which did the Macy's parade, Christmas parade mm -hmm. that had Santa and Coca-Cola both used Thomas Nast's picture of mm. the guy we think of Santa Claus today. So uh, as I said, the, the Santa Claus we have today is a particularly American Santa Claus yeah. that comes from 19th century America. Uh, and what, what decade was yeah. that? Sorry to interrupt. What decade was that when um, Coca-Cola and Macy's took so these like, are the early 1900s. So 1910s, okay. 1920s okay. Uh, is when we start, as I mentioned before, a sort of secular appropriation of yeah. the holiday okay. uh, during during a, um, that time in America. So, um, yeah, that's that's the brief history of, of our Santa Claus. Um, he's going to look different in other places, sometimes celebrated on his day, December 6th, sometimes uh, telescoped together with uh, the 25th. Um, so I used to work at the college, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. and a lot of us there had kids and like you mentioned, what to do with Santa Claus. I never thought of it as an issue at all. Like Santa yeah. Claus, fantastic. He, he comes right. down the chimney. He gives us presents. Um, my parents told us it was true. And then when they said it wasn't true, we, um, 
or, you know, we asked if it really was true. They said, you know, no, but it was huge. It was a gigantic issue with, with, uh, other professors and their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no, no problem p- with people doing what they want to do. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. Right. There's no, like, I don't, I, yeah. like what's harmful. Am I lying to my child? Um, yes and no. Um, I, I remember with both of my sons, um, the, my oldest court, you know, he was, oh, probably seven or eight. And he said, oh, is it, is Santa real, like real, real? And we said, no, it's a, it's a story we tell. It's a myth we, we play up around the holidays. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. That's what I thought. Um, and my, my youngest, it was spoiled by a neighborhood kid. And so that was a bummer, but I, I, once, I think this is an an issue of Christian freedom. I think this is, um, if you're uncomfortable telling the story, then don't, don't tell it. But, uh, but but Kelsey, you've got kids now, you know how, like everyone wants to tell everyone how to raise their kids. And, uh, I just, I don't, I really think this is something to be left, uh, to the individual parent. Yeah. I agree with you. It was kind of a trick question, but um I I I think that there's freedom there and I do think it's easy to get up in arms about though because however you are raised, you you I mean, not for everybody, but for a lot of people they want to mimic that for their kids. So they think like, oh, if they're raised a different way, like if I celebrated Santa and I don't want to do that for my kids. Are they going to miss out? And then vice versa. So, um, but I think it's a good reminder in that case that there's really not a wrong way to do it. Um, and as far yeah, as, and, yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. Oh, just as far as traditions go. I mean, sometimes it's not a theological issue. It's just like, as you mentioned, it's, yeah. I did this, kid. I want this done this way. Mm-hmm. Um, my my wife Beth Ann, who you know, we had a little uh, uh, battle when we first got married because for me, Christmas is garish. Uh, Christmas is bright, multicolored lights everywhere. It's <laughs> an overstuffed tree. It's silly things pinned all over the walls. Where for her mom, it was like all white lights. Yeah. And then the tree would just have like purple bows on them, you no know, like fun wooden ornaments. Yeah. And um, so that's, that's, you know, it was her tradition. And so she's like, yes. yeah, but I kind of like that. Um, and, and then she, she came over to the, you know, uh, my side, which was gracious of her. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think sometimes when we do when we talk about Santa, we, we make it maybe a theological issue when it's really just a tradition issue. If you didn't yeah. grow up with it, you don't want other people to have that fun or, I hear people saying, well, but then if you say that, you know, you know, Santa's real and then he's not, what if they think Jesus is real and then he's not, um, let's do a little better. Uh, (laughs) You're talking about Jesus more than you're talking about Santa Claus, uh, in a different way, but yeah, but yeah, I think freedom is the, the name of the game there. The key there. Um, you obviously know a lot about Christmas traditions worldwide Mm -hmm. and throughout history. Do you have any favorites that you've learned about? Um, or maybe that you guys even, I don't know if you practice (laughs) global Christmas traditions, maybe you do, but anything that, Uh, okay. Okay. So there's, there's uh, a couple ones. I actually wrote 
I, I forget where I wrote it for maybe it was even 15, 17 years, I think, years ago. And I wrote yeah. about the Tio de Nadal. Yes, which, that's why I've asked is, this question because yes, I remember this it's, article. <laughs> it's, the, it's the poop log. Yeah. Uh, it's a popular in Spain and it's a, a hollow log that you decorate with uh, a face on one side and then you cover with blankets. And from uh, the feast of, uh, what is the feast day? I forget. It's December 8th. But starting December 8th, you feed the log various things and you put it into its hollowed out mouth. Okay. And um, then you do this until the 24th, until Christmas Eve. And then there's a little song. And I wrote down the lyrics to the song. It goes, poop log, poop nuggets, <laughs> hazelnuts, and matto cheese. If you don't poop well, I'll hit you with a stick. Poop log. And then on Christmas morning, you, you take the blanket away and all the presents are there. They came from the log that you've been feeding <laughs> treats for the past I'm month. I'm dying. So that's that's the Tio de Nadal. Um, I, I will mention... Uh, any any Catalonians will know that I I use the word poop, but that's not quite the word they use. But you know, it's a family show. <laughs> uh, in uh, in Japan, they associate Christmas with Kentucky Fried Chicken, and okay. so there is a like you get on a waiting list to get Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas Day because Christmas is so associated with American culture. And Amazing. KFC is so associated with American culture that that's all you they don't celebrate Christmas. They just get, you know, KFC. There's a, a story often told of a, a display in Tokyo of a crucified Santa Claus. Uh, so really mixing the signals here. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, but, you know, just kind of a funny, the Japanese liking American culture in a way that we kind of ape Japanese yeah. culture sometimes. Yeah, right? for sure. Um, so that's that's a good one in uh, in Italy. Santa doesn't bring you presents, but La Befana does. Okay. Uh, La Befana is a witch, and she was cursed when she was invited by the Magi to go see the baby Jesus, and she declined. And part of her punishment for perpetuity is giving gifts to people around the nativity. Um, so that's an Italian one. Um, I was she, surprised. She's not a very generous giver, then, probably, if she's cursed to give, right? Yeah, that well, her job? <laughs> I don't, she doesn't look like she enjoys it from the pictures <laughs> I've seen. Uh, she looks like a cursed witch, but apparently, she does bring um, joy. She brings good gifts. Yeah. Okay. And it's right. funny, as I mentioned, there's this, um, there's a long tradition of Christmas and ghost stories. Okay. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of the, um, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, dun, 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 dun. There's a line in there about ghost stories. And oftentimes people kind of, if you listen, you're like, well, when did yeah. ghost stories become part of Christmas? Yeah. Uh, but that's part of the sort of pagan culture of a coming winter, right? Winter coming, mid-December, witches, demons, uh, Krampus, as as I mentioned. Krampus. Um, so it's really, it it is this sort of, brightness and celebration but also a fixation on the the other side of that something mm. that in american culture we kind of got away with we got rid of which i think mm -hmm. makes for a better secular holiday uh, but really does follow christmas in in other parts of the world so hmm. those are some uh, uh and then i i learned personally when i lived in scotland that bringing coal is actually a good thing and you bring coal to a christmas oh, party 
because it's cold and coal, you know, helps heat the, the house. So coal being a bad thing is a, an American invention. Very interesting. I just learned like 25 new facts that I did not know before. <laughs> it's, what, it's what I'm good for. I just, I just put I facts in my head and then spit them out the microphone. I love it. I love it. You were talking about how the like ghost stories and kind of this dark side following Christmas, which I mean, like you said, we've kind of gotten away from in America in general, but there's kind of like something there that gets at the heart of the Christian Christmas story, right? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I don't, and I don't know if that's, if they're associated in any way or it's just kind of um, coincidence, but. Well, it's, you know, this is a time of year where for many people, uh, it's a tough time of year. Yeah. It's a tough time of year because it's darker. Yeah, It's a tough time of year because if you don't have family, if you don't have traditions and you, see, you hear people getting on about how g- wonderful, you know, a goof like me talking about how great everything is yeah. and, and you're depressed, uh, it can be, it can be a tough time. Um, you know, a, as far as the, the dating of, you know, why we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, there are many, many theories. Uh, was it to replace a pagan Roman holiday? Likely. Uh, was it because the Annunciation takes place, you know, nine months prior? Well, in some calendars it does, in some calendars it doesn't. Uh, but there's a, a human urge, and we find this in world religions and in Christianity, mm-hmm. to paradoxically celebrate when it's darkest. Mm. A, a way to say, n- no, no yeah. to the evil, to say no to the, the, the darkness. And to say, we're going to put the coming of the Son of God, coming of light in the darkest hour. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know what, you know, the, the, the weather was like in, uh, you know, Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. But, you know, shepherds out at night in December probably isn't going to be the case. It's going to be a little too cold for that. But nonetheless, we've decided we're going to put it here. We're going to put it in winter to celebrate the the brightest thing in yeah. our faith. And so um, that we just see this in uh, the, the fancy word for it would be Manichaean. Uh, Manichaean mm-hmm. was an old philosophy that saw everything in dualities between light and darkness. And it's just something that's, that's in us. And um, so I think as Christians, we do well to talk about the triumph of good and the triumph of God uh, in the midst of darkness. Yeah. It's why I do, while I talk about the joy and, and all that, I do like some of the melancholy aspects of Christmas. Yeah. Um, my favorite Christmas song, not hymn, is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Okay. And um, this song comes from a musical called Meet Me in St. Louis. It's not a Christmas musical. And this song comes when Judy Garland and her sisters realize they're going to be moving away from their family or moving away from their friends. And so if you have the right version of the song, um, there's a a lyric that goes, uh, in the end, we all will be together if the fates allow. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. Hmm. Now, it was Frank Sinatra who said, I don't want that sad sack language. 
So he rewrote it to hang a shining star upon the highest bough instead of until then we'll have to muddle through somehow. Huh. So when you listen for that song, see if that lyric is there. Yeah. And then if you listen to, say, James Taylor's most recent edition or the Kenton Cobbler's Club, which is my favorite, um, there is this sort of underlying sadness but hope. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that's a wonderful way we can talk in terms of the realities of sin and the joy of, of the holiday and, and of the incarnation and the coming of, of God in human flesh. So I, 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 I do think there is a place for that duality in the Christian faith and, and in, yeah. in Christmas. Yeah, I think that's so important to maintain as Christians. If we're going to talk about like what, wh- how you should celebrate or, you know, we don't want to get too prescriptive, but that's a, that's a good thing to, to cherish is, is that duality and that, um, the fact that there is darkness and yet mm-hmm. we, we have the, the hope and the promise of light that comes to eradicate that. Um, I think that's really really important. I know you, you, um, I was looking at what you had written about Christmas and you, in one article you talked about in a Charlie Brown Christmas too, where, um, you know, it ends on a high note, but at the beginning, Charlie, Charlie is, um, is it Charlie or is it Linus? That's sad. Charlie's, yeah. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's depressed because he doesn't feel like it's Christmas, right? Which is kind of getting at this, what you're talking about, the fact, the truth that this is either like the best time of year for people or the absolute worst. And it's good to, to remember that, I think. And yeah, we should always be comfortable as Christians to, to note that things aren't right. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, this is the, the season of Advent, uh, Advent Christmas, I like to think of it. Mm-hmm. But Advent is the season of recognizing the now and the not yet, the -hmm. first coming and the second coming, that while everything has been put right, it is not completely right until the second coming. And so, you know, Charlie Brown in the beginning is depressed. Uh, I know of of churches that celebrate, uh, have services that are called blue Christmas services, Hmm. which are designed to help people with um, their, their depression during the season. Uh, If you Google blue Christmas, you can probably blue Christmas service uh, you can probably find one near you. Uh, there are many uh, around me. Hmm. So, yeah, I think we do really well to to do that. I I was reminded of the the line in O Little Town of Bethlehem, um, and in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and hmm. fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, right? The hopes and fears of all the years. Like we can say, yeah, that's we have hopes and fears, but in yeah. Jesus. Uh, it's all met. So, yeah. You started talking about, I mean, you've mentioned throughout some of your favorite Christmas hymns. Um, are there any that you haven't mentioned that you, you think are worth you, uh, mentioning? Um, and then kind of what are you finding in your research for your for the Christian History Almanac episode on that? So uh, I quoted, Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, I love Oh, Holy Night done mm. properly. Um, it's a hard song to sing, but if you get someone or you get a nice trumpet, um, you know, to hit those high notes, um, there's a a great line. We don't always sing in a a holy night. Um, this is all from memory. I didn't write these lyrics down. Um, chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in him all 
hostilities will cease. It's a civil war line. It's a line about oh, a divided America. Um, yeah, chain shall he break for the slave is our brother. Um, I, I wrote for 1517 a couple of years ago, the story of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, yeah. which was the, the hymn written um, by by Long Longfellow, I think. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his, his, his wife had died and his son went off to the Civil War. And he, the song starts with, he doesn't want to celebrate Christmas, hmm. but the bells, the Christmas bells bid him recognize the beauty of the promise of Jesus. Hmm. So uh, I heard the bells on, on Christmas day is a, is a great one. Um, so those, I mean, I, I'll listen to, I'll listen to just about any Christmas song. Um, <laughs> and like I said, I love the sacred and the secular. I am pretty particular on my versions because sometimes okay. people... Uh, I'm trying to think of the right phrase here. Um, give us half what they could when it comes to Christmas music. Um, Christmas albums are just kind of like put out there. Uh, like, eh, there you go. It's uh, kid stuff, songs we all know. And then sometimes they're taken very seriously and done very well. Yeah, so v- Christmas songs, particular versions, um, some are just better than others. Sometimes they're just nostalgic yeah, um, you know, when it comes to Burl Ives or Mel Torme, my wife loves, loves, loves the Michael W. Smith album Christmas. That and one's a good one. And what we t- we were talking about Amy Grant earlier. Amy Grant's Home yeah. for Christmas. It's she's got best. so she's got a Tennessee Christmas, which is her most recent, yes. which is also okay. Great. Okay. recorded uh, at her home studio with Vince Gill. Awesome. Um, yeah. So those are those are some of the, the Christmas songs that I. Uh, I really dig. I love it. What about Christmas movies? Christmas movies? Your fa- yeah. What are some of your faves? Yeah. Uh, so um, it's, um, why did I just go blank on the greatest movie ever made? Um, <laughs> What's it about? You know, it's the, it's in black and white and the guy wishes he was never born. Oh, and oh it's a wonderful it's, life. It's a wonderful life. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life is uh, perhaps the greatest movie ever made, in this man's opinion. Uh, I will watch it every year, multiple times. Um, it is, you know, just this story about redemption, the story yeah. about a guy's hopes and dreams, and they don't work, and it's kind of cheesy, but it's fun. And in the end, you know, ever the whole town comes together for him. Um, so that one's that one's fantastic. I mentioned uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, two two new ones that I I really dig. One is called Eight Bit, which is on Netflix, okay. and okay. it's kind of like a Christmas story, but it takes place in the eighties, and it's about okay. a Nintendo. And then I know a Christmas story, the You'll Shoot Your Eye Out, yeah, is not. It, some people like it, some people don't. In twenty seventeen, they they it was made into a musical uh, by a very oh. talented two guys who went okay. on to do Dear Evan Hansen and a bunch of other popular musicals. And they did it, the musical, on live television. It's called A Christmas Story Live. Interesting. And so it, and it stars Matthew Broderick and um, Maya Rudolph and all kinds of names, Fred Armisen, all kinds of people you might know of. And it is, so, I, we watch it every year multiple times because it's just so okay. much fun. So Christmas Story Live. 8-bit. 8-bit. It's a Wonderful Life. A Charlie Brown Christmas. I just watched, um, we just watched Spirited 
on Apple. Yeah. I was going to ask if you liked that. We loved it. That was such, I mean, I love a Christmas Carol. I love all the versions. Uh, Last year I went through and watched every version of that movie Um, from the the oldest ones up through things like Scrooge because I, I, get obsessive sometimes when I, yeah, anyway. uh, but spirited was a great take on, uh, yeah. on, on the, the, the Dickens story. So yeah, that was another one, but I'm, I mean, I watch the Hallmark movies as well. So I, I really don't have, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll put on just <laughs> you watch it all. Yeah. Because I mean, the Hallmark things are so cheesy. They're uh, so bad. There's one called a castle for Christmas. I don't want to ruin it, but she gets a castle for Christmas. Um, <laughs> And, you know, in the Scottish countryside or whatever. Um, yeah, those are kind of cheesy. Sometimes you just put those on while you're wrapping presents or, or Oh, whatever. for sure. But, uh, yeah. Uh, but the, the big ones are It's a Wonderful Life for me and and uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas. Those are probably the, yeah. the, two, the two big ones. I think I have to agree with both of those. And I love A Christmas Story too, but I have not seen the musical. So I'm going to have to watch that. Yeah, the musicals but, is, is the, I'm a I'm a musical guy. I love okay. musicals and this one's top notch. Like it's okay. it's really really well and it's live on live television. Yeah, that's which amazing. Is so much fun to do something in the uh back lots in Hollywood. <laughs> I love it. Um what do you think what is like one thing you think that people miss about Christmas? Um in particular probably like the day itself. What you know, the reason we have Christmas that you, that you would want to remind people about that you think maybe gets glossed over in all of the busyness and the, just all the stuff that comes along with Christmas. I'm, I'm reminded of the line from the lion, witch and the wardrobe of Aslan talking about the deeper magic, Mm. that there's deeper magic even still, Um, that there's something going on that embrace all the secular, go for it, but there's something really, really profound. Hmm. And I know sometimes people say like, Jesus is the reason for the season. You know, it's like, yeah, Yeah. it rhymes. Um, Or happy birthday, baby Jesus. (laughs) Okay, I get it. yeah, but, but it's the incarnation yeah, and the promise of a second coming, hmm. uh, that, that the reason why, I mean, my, my neighborhood, all of our houses, we all decided just to put lights on our houses for a month yeah, and to give each other cookies and to sing songs. That's really, that's especially in these divided times in these difficult yeah. times. Um, what's that deeper magic, right? I mean, why has this taken us so? Um, uh, and then, you know, getting to it's, it's the incarnation, the first coming and the second coming and, and what that means for, as we talked about the, the hard times, the depression, mm-hmm. the sadness that also comes at this time. So, you know, I don't think it can be fixed with make sure you say Merry Christmas or put the Christ in Christmas. Um, just so people know, uh, when you see Xmas, uh, that is because that's part of the Cairo, which is the for the Greek letters for mm. Christ. So mm-hmm. the X is just a shortage of that. So it is keeping literally Christ in Christmas. So don't be mad. <laughs> so it's fine, everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that um, that we do well to to sort of highlight the the deeper magic uh, still. Yeah, 
I think that's beautiful. And, and to remember that that's what, you know, there is something there that's bringing it all together. There's a reason that, like you said, we're all putting, <laughs> we're all going on ladders and hanging lights off of our yeah. houses, which is pretty, pretty amazing. So yeah. I think that's a great place to end. Thanks so much, Dan, for walking us through the history of Christmas. Um, we'll and yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime with something else. So thanks for I, being I'm on. I'm always willing to talk Christmas. Thanks, Kelsey. Outside Ourselves is a 1517 podcast. To learn more, please go to 1517.org forward slash podcast. You can also learn more about all the type of work that we are doing at 1517 by visiting our website. As always, if you have enjoyed this episode, I would love if you could give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are subscribed and are listening to podcasts. Uh, Feel free to share as well. Those are some really easy and simple ways to get the word out about Outside Ourselves. Merry Christmas, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks.